I remember sitting in, I'm sitting in the bus and up in the, in the lounge area and Sebastian walks in the bus and he's like, what's up, Randy? I'm like, Hey, good show. And I remember he, he, you're sitting right across from me. He turns around, looks at you. He looks at me. He's like, who's this guy? <laughs> Who is this guy? I'm like, Hey, Hey, Hey. It's like, I thought he was going to attack you. Throw you off the bus. I said, Hey, Hey, Sebastian, that's our sound guy. What? It's our sound guy. It's Ryan. He's like, Oh man! Oh my gosh! I'm sorry, man. Because I didn't know who you were. I thought you were just a fan. And like, oh my gosh, man! <laughs> but then he goes I like, "You were a goner." Then he goes like, like he went from you know getting ready to to kill me to like instantly. He's like, "Dude, that was the best I've ever sounded in my whole life. You you were awesome." I'm like, oh, "All right, I guess it went pretty good then. <laughs> this is all right." So, but yeah. Yeah. yeah, and it was it was a great show. Yeah, it, it was really was. A, it was a, it was a small place, but that made it. I mean, to be honest, from the show perspective, it made it better. You know, if it was a big empty room, it wouldn't have been as much fun. But it was, you know, yeah. I mean, it's a tiny stage, it's a tiny place, but it really it was a good night considering i thought it was and you know i've got a few under my belt now so i know what the bad ones are like but yeah so my first experience with sebastian was kim going from i'm gonna kill you to you know (laughs) we're we're best buds instantly that's how it went yep so but anyway yeah it's been it's gone pretty good ever since then Hey everybody, welcome to Bus Call, the podcast dedicated to touring industry professionals and their stories. My name is Ryan Goldbacher and I'm going to be your host. In these interviews we're going to break down how touring professionals got into the industry, advice they have for up-and-comers, and awesome stories from the road. For more info, visit us at show-logistics.com and click on the Bus Call podcast at the top of the page. Alright everybody, I want to welcome Randy Figueroa to Bus Call. Thanks for being here. Randy's a drum tech and he works with me with Sebastian Bach. We met on the Judas Priest Firepower tour a couple of years ago. Uh, and he also texts for Bobby Derzombek with Fate's Warning and Riot. And he also texts for Nigel Glockler of Saxon. Randy, welcome to Bus Call. How's it going, man? All right. How you doing, man? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. How you holding up? I'm good. Trying to stay COVID free, you know? <laughs> yeah, man. What's your story about how you got into the music business? I mean, you're kind of from a really small town. There's not a whole lot of connections there and stuff like that, but yet you still were able to make it into arena tours and stuff like that. Well, I started drumming really, really early, like five, six years old. But I, and I couldn't tell you what it was that got me into music. I guess maybe I saw a drummer somewhere and, you know, remembered that. And, and I could always just play. I never had any lessons or anything like that. I could just play, you know, so... Later on in uh, junior high, that's when we had our, you know, I was able to be in band. They didn't let me try out for percussion. They threw me uh, with the French horn. And uh, my uncle, who was a drummer, he said, did you get percussion? I was like, no, uncle, they didn't even let me try out. So he went up to the school and griped at him a little bit, said, hey, why didn't you let my nephew try out? He's great. Drummer. They had switched band directors, so there was new band directors there. One of them that he talked to was named Lou Viafania. I still I still talk to that guy. He's still a band director here in Texas. And he gave me a shot, and, uh, you know, he, he took me off French horn and threw me in the percussion class, you know. And so I started there, you know, through junior high and high school and was in band the whole time. And uh, I started drumming a little bit, like, when I was 15, 16, in, in a couple bands, you know. And then when I was 19, I started playing with some country bands, I always thought that famous people were gonna would make money playing music. And I remember I played this gig one time and we played for like six hours at some small bar out in the middle of Texas and at the end of the gig 
they come up to me and hand me some cash, you know, it's like 150 bucks or something. And I'm like, whoa, this is cool. I played drums, had a good time, and they bring me some money after this. And so that kind of got me hooked, you know, and uh, I continued to play with a couple of bands throughout my early 20s. I remember meet, meeting Bobby Jarzomic somewhere around 1995, 96. There was a couple of bands that ran around in this area. In, in this area, there's a bunch of halls, like big dance halls, what they call them. And those bands would go around every weekend and play these different halls. And I would go out and, and watch these guys play. And I remember there was a band called Rhythm of the Road, who I, who I later played for. It was the first time I saw a drummer that had two bass drums. And I'm like, wow, man, wh why does he have two bass drums? I've never seen that before, you know? And I, you know, I was like 14, 15, something like that. So I would watch. I would sit there and watch. You know, all my friends are out drinking and dancing and having a good time. But I would sit there and just watch the drummer or watch the musicians. I started to notice when he would use it. I'm like, oh, that's cool. You know, I, I had no idea that could be done. You know, and I think that drummer's name was like John Paul or something like that. And one week I went to see that band and John Paul was gone. I'm like, where's where'd that John Paul guy go? He was a great drummer and i get there's some long blonde-headed skinny white guy there on the drums i'm like this guy's gonna suck <laughs> and that was bobby jarzombeck <laughs> man this guy he doesn't even have two bass drums he only has one bass drum but i didn't know double bass drum pedals existed i didn't know you know i was still new you know the band will play a couple of rock songs and after one of the rock songs Bobby did this drum solo that completely blew my mind with his footwork and stick twirling and the sticks were glowing and I was like, oh my God, who is this guy? So, you know, every weekend, you know, they would, they would, at the end of the dance, they would have people at the door and they would, they would hand out these little cards that had all the dates for that band for the whole year and what hall they were going to be in. We would follow that band. You know, there was two or three bands going around at that time. And we'd follow whatever band we liked and, and okay, where's this band playing? And, okay, they're right down the road, 25 miles. Let's go. And then the following weekend, where are they playing? Well, they're right down the road, five minutes away. You know, later, I'm like, well, I want maybe, maybe that guy will let me play a song. Maybe they'll let me play a song with them. You know, I was just, you know, cause I, I knew I could play. But I, was, I wanted to see if, if they would let me play a song with them. And I remember showing up like an hour early before the show started and Bobby would walk in and I was just a kid. Like, like I said, I was 14, 15, something like that. And, and these dance halls were out in the country in the middle of nowhere. So this certain dance hall was called the Inez Community Center. And that's where I went to go wait for Bobby to show up. And I asked him, I said, hey, you know, you think I can play the drums? And he's like, ah, you know, beat it, kid, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but he wasn't really like that. But, you know, it wasn't his decision to make, you know. Yeah. And, and I knew that. And I, I, I would just ask. I, it never hurt to ask. They never let me play. But anyway, <laughs> I said, okay, it's cool. And, and maybe we'll work together sometime. And Bobby said, yeah, kid. <laughs> and lo and behold, you know, later on, we're buddies working together. And, you know, it's, it's kind of a cool deal, you know. You know, I lost, I lost contact with Bobby, I think, uh, in 2000, somewhere towards the end when he left that band. Uh, I didn't see him again until I was like 21. And somebody said, hey, uh, Randy, MTV's on. Isn't that your buddy Bobby on TV? And I look at the TV, and sure enough, it's Bobby with Rob Halford doing some kind of interview on MTV. I said, like, yeah, that's Bobby. 
I remember I was in Austin recording with a band that I played with, and we had to run into one of the music stores to grab some gear. And there was this DVD playing in the background. I'm like, God, that guy looks familiar. And I looked closer, and I said, wait a minute, that's Bobby again. <laughs> He's got this instru- instructional DVD out. I goes, you know that guy? I said, well, I, a long time ago, yeah, I used to follow him and watch him play. So I said, can I, you know, you have any more DVDs? He goes, well, this is the only one I have. So he sold me that one. I think there was an email on there where I emailed him and said, hey, I, I remember you from the band back in the day. And I said, if you ever need a tech, you know, give me a shout, you know. And uh, I never thought he'd call ever. It was like a year, a year and a half later when I got an email from him saying, hey, can you give me a call? And I'm like, oh, my gosh, Bobby Durazomic just emailed me. And that was like 2007, somewhere on there. The first time he called me, I think it was for the uh, Sebastian Bach Guns N' Roses tour, I think it was. He wasn't sure. He was just interviewing people. I didn't get the job that time until uh, later. He interviewed me again, I think, with, it might have been Riot or, or Sebastian Bach. And I had just started a band. I think he didn't want to mess that up for me. So he went with another guy. So that was the second time we kind of missed us working together. And uh, it didn't happen until like 2004. 14 when he gave me a call and things worked out you know i was free i was ready to go he needed a tech and that's when it all started i mean you've worked with bobby a ton but you also got the gig with uh with nigel and saxon how'd you end up uh, uh i got that gig on a fate's warning tour uh because i worked with fate's warning yeah bobby's a drummer for fate's warning and, and i went out with them once their tour manager jason engel and their stage manager joey stumpo were on stage while i was setting bobby's kit up and there's a million pieces to it mm-hmm. And I set it up pretty quick. They're like, hey, man, you, you do that pretty quick. Yeah, I'm used to the kit, you know. And he said, and, and jo- I remember Joey saying, and all the legs are straight. I said, what do you mean? <laughs> he said, man, this, this guy that we hired for Saxon, he can never get the legs straight. And I'm like, really? They said, you think you can get all his legs straight? I'm like, yeah. You think you might want the Saxon gig? I said, sure, yeah. I said, as long as you think me and Nigel would work good together, I'll, I'll try it out. The whole crooked leg problem was just a bad mount. I, I switched out the mount and everything was fine. So that, okay. that worked out pretty well. <laughs> so what things have you you know, really stuck out about the things you've gotten to see all over the country or wherever you've been? But as far as, as in the States, I really like New York. On one, of the, on one of the tours, or a couple of times, me and the guys on a day off near New York, we'd, we'd head into New York City and kind of walk around, hang out. Central Park, you know, that's probably been my favorite state is New York. A couple of the, like shows, Jimmy Kimmel Saturday Night Live shows that you know, we've been there. Yeah, just, well, it, you know, New York's just got so much stuff. I mean, there's, especially entertainment related, it's just like nonstop. I, I like going to New York and visiting New York. I hate doing shows there just because it's just such a nightmare to get, oh, of course. get the buses and the trucks in and out and... I mean that's the real real yeah. big issue, but luckily the crews are always really good, so it's not not so much of an issue. But you're always there's always like time pressure, and then of course you know everybody's in New York, so there's all these interview requests, and you got to go do podcasts or some kind of shoot or something like that, and it's just the worst possible day to do a show <laughs> is like the most difficult show you do every tour, exactly. all tour. So um, you know I I can't I love visiting New York, but I hate going there for work, but. Uh, have you ever you've been you did rock and Rio didn't you what did yeah. you didn't you do that tour did you go down to um to Brazil with uh, Saxon when they went with priest oh yeah we, that was oh my gosh man that wasn't that rock was and, the that wasn't rock and Rio was the last show 
No, no, it was just a, a club there. Getting there was insane because the final date of that firepower tour with Judas Priest was in San Antonio, which is two hours away from me being home. I've been on the road, what, two, three months already. And after that San Antonio show, we had to pack up, fly to Mexico City, and we had like a five-hour layover there, and then hop on a plane to Sao Paulo, Brazil, and we got like an hour of sleep when we got there and went and did a show, and then hopped right back on the plane, back to Mexico City to do the last show, and then fly back home. So I was like, gosh, that was the longest tour ever. That Judas Priest Firepower Tour was the longest tour. And then getting caught in that snowstorm for like two or three weeks. There was a point in that tour, I'm sure you remember, where it snowed like every day for like two weeks. And I was like, but you might be used to that, right? I vaguely remember. Well, I'm not really. I mean, it doesn't, but I mean, you're a Texas boy, man. It's, you know, <laughs> but uh, I mean, I do remember it snowing a lot and it was, it was an issue, but like it just, I may, it probably doesn't register in my head because it being an arena tour, you, you know, you're, you don't really go outside. <laughs> I don't know how I made it through that tour without getting fired. I should have been. Well, ha- so what's the story? Well, how could, why would you have gotten fired? Oh, there was like three times I could have gotten fired on that tour. Yeah. They needed you too much. First one was, I remember you, I remember meeting you and I felt sorry for you because your band never had any beer. You know, I don't drink beer and the guys from Saxon would have like four, five, six cases at the end of the night, every night. And I remember seeing you walking to your bus and I would say, hey, you guys want some beer? And you're like like sneaking it over. (laughs) You want some beer? We don't have any room for it. I remember that. (laughs) You want some beer? Here, take a couple cases. (laughs) The guys will never know. I think I did the whole tour, man. Dude. The second time is when, uh, during sound check, you know, I remember Bobby would always show me these different exercises on the drums and and I would try them. And I remember doing one one time and Scott Travis, the drummer for Judas Priest, would always come back when the curtain was, was down and sit right behind me and, and mess with his drums a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I remember doing an exercise, and I think what I was doing sounded like the intro to um, Painkiller. <laughs> and I heard, that's enough. I heard, that's enough of that. <laughs> and here comes Scott Travis. Scott, Scott Travis walks from behind the, the curtain. He looks at me. He goes, is that you playing? I said, yeah. He goes, oh, you're you're a real drummer then. <laughs> I said, yeah, I play. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. He thinks I was trying to play uh, Painkiller. And I wasn't. It was just an exercise. <laughs> but he, he just, he just kind of laughed about it, and that was it. Yeah. And, like, the third time, we're sound checking with Saxon at one of our headliners, and Nigel was nowhere to be found. And the whole band was ready to go, so Biff just says, Randy, get up on those drums. Was was Black Star Riders uh, that? on that gig? Oh, you, it might have been us. It was it was a theater somewhere or or a um, casino. I can't remember. I but remember, I remember the, the, the whole casino band was on we did. stage and and they couldn't find Nigel. Yeah, Biff's like, "Hey, Randy, hop on the drums." I'm like, "Okay." So I'm sitting there and I'm jamming with the band during during sound check. And when I stop, I remember Biff saying, "I told Joe you're better." drummer than nigel anyway <laughs> and nigel is right behind me i'm like oh my gosh nigel's kind of burning a hole right through me i'm like nigel this is your gig i i don't want this yeah. <laughs> i'm just, so three I'm just doing what i'm told fired. you know one of the cool stories that me and you have together was 
the first time I met Sebastian. Um, yeah. So it was it was a crazy day, but the, so I kind of I kind of lay it out. But you can I'll let you know when to tell the rest of the story because you have a different perspective of it all. So I was just subbing in for three shows, and you guys already did, done a show or two or something like that. I was supposed to get on like the earliest flight out of Nashville to make the gig, and I this is the only time I've ever done this. But I was I was at working Bonnaroo the the day before, and I don't think I got home till like four a.m. And I would, you know, if you ever have worked Bonnaroo, it's the most exhausting thing in the world. I probably shouldn't have ended up doing it just because of, you know, having to fly off the next day, but I was already committed. So I get home and I'm like, I'm just going to go to sleep for, for 45 minutes. I was already packed. I was, I was literally ready to go. And, uh, I wake up about five minutes before my plane takes off. And I like, I was just kicking myself. I, so I missed the flight and I'm like, Oh my God, what am I going to do? So I call up uh, your tour manager at the time, um, and he he was like, "Dude, just get on the next possible flight you can." And I'm so I'm like, I just go to the airport and I'm like, "Get me on the next flight." And of course, it's United, so it's like a you know who knows if the plane's actually going to make it there. But I got there, I got there before sound check. But anyway, so you know, so I hadn't even met Sebastian at that point, and we're you know we do sound check, we do the show. It was like one of those clubs where there's no backstage area, and I remember you and Don, uh, our security guy. Uh, had to like push Sebastian through the crowd to get him to the stage. And, you know, my first experience working with Sebastian was him jumping on that stage at the moment. So anyway, we do the show and I'm, you know, I'm sitting out front. I'm like, oh, it's going pretty good. You know, everything sounds all right. I was, I was pretty happy. But then, all right, so you take from there, the show's over, Sebastian gets on the bus and, you know, then what happens? I remember sitting, I'm sitting in the bus up in the the lounge area and Sebastian walks in the bus and he's like, what's up, Randy? I'm like, hey, good show. And I remember he, he, you're sitting right across from me. He turns around, looks at you. He looks at me. He's like, who's this guy? <laughs> like, Who is this guy? I'm like, hey, hey, hey. It's like, I thought he was going to attack you, throw you off the bus. I said, hey, hey, Sebastian, that's our sound guy. <laughs> what? That's our sound guy. It's Ryan. He's like, oh, man. Oh, my gosh. I'm sorry, man. He goes, I didn't know who you were. I thought you were just a fan. And like, oh my gosh, man. <laughs> but then he goes I like you were a goner. Then he goes like like he went from, you know, getting ready to, to kill me to like instantly he's like, dude, that was the best I've ever sounded in my whole life. You you were awesome. I'm like, oh all right, I guess it went pretty good then. This <laughs> is all right. So but yeah. Yeah. yeah, and it was. It was a great show. Yeah, it, it really was a, place, it was a it was a small place, but that made it I mean, to be honest with you, from the show perspective, it made it better. You know, if it was a big empty room, it wouldn't have been as much fun. But it was, you know yeah. I mean, it's a tiny stage, it's a tiny place, but it really it was a good night considering i thought it was and you know i've got a few under my belt now so i know what the bad ones are like but yeah so my first experience with sebastian was kim going from i'm gonna kill you to you know (laughs) we're we're best buds instantly that's how it went yep so but anyway yeah it's been it's gone pretty good ever since then but uh tell me some of the crazy stories that you can tell that won't get us fired well there's a few let me let me give one that i can tell because I think some of the other ones are probably still under investigation or something. <laughs> uh, uh, I, I, you, you weren't you weren't with us yet. Um, I think you you were coming in uh, when we had Tim uh, TMing for a while. Oh, um, so yeah. Well, this you was know, in Las no. Vegas. So Tim, I did that three show run when you guys were on tour. I only yeah. did three shows. And then I did a one off, and I was already committed to another tour. So Tim um, Tim Harding subbed in for me for like a week. So. Brent Woods had some shows booked with Chevy Metal 
which is with Taylor Hawkins from the Foo Fighters. Mm -hmm. They had some stuff booked, I think, and Brent was going to be able to make some shows, so they needed a, another guitar player. This guy's name came up, I guess. Uh, his name was Bruiser Brody. <laughs> and uh, I know this story. They, this they called him. <laughs> <laughs> they called him up and say, "Hey, come! Up, we're going to do an audition for us. You're going to play the show with us, or you know, play play the show with Bash Bach and the guys." Uh, you know, bring your gear and, and we're gonna do this in Vegas. So I'm like, wow, man, what a what a, um, what an audition, you know, um, in Vegas. I think what was that? Is that called Fremont Street or something? Yeah, that's what it was. Something like that. Bruiser Brody shows up with like brand new gear that he that he bought, you know, just to have the best gear. And um, they get up on stage and they start playing and. There was a time when Sebastian would take that his microphone and start swinging it as hard as he could, so the techs, you know, would have to make sure that the microphone was taped. Yeah, well, he would do the Roger Daltrey thing, but yeah. like times fifty. <laughs> yeah. So I would never want that job as, as a. I never wanted the job as the taping guy because I just I don't want to be responsible if something happens. Yeah. Well, show kicks off. It's first song. And after, you know, first course or something, Sebastian starts swinging that microphone as hard as he could. And there's thousands of people in the crowd. And I'm watching, and all of a sudden, I don't see the mic anymore. In, in my head, I'm, I'm like, oh my God, somebody's dead. <laughs> Somebody in the crowd is dead, and we're all, gonna, we're all going to jail right away, all of us. <laughs> I'm looking in the crowd, and I'm like, okay, I'm waiting, for, I'm waiting for some people to start turning and looking in a direction, you know. So I turned my attention back towards the stage, you know, to see the guys, and Bruiser Brody's gone. I'm like, so it's you know during the show it's hard to it's hard to hear each other over those radios because the music's so loud. So I'm looking around. I'm like, where's Bruiser at? And I look behind the stages. Those stages are pretty big, you know. So he's way in the back, and I see his girlfriend's holding a towel on his head. She moves that towel, and there's a huge gash right on his head. The mic flew off and hit Bruiser Brody right in his head in the middle of a song in his audition. And I'm like, oh, my God. It's the first song. <laughs> so it's not like you've got halfway through the show. Yeah, it's the first song. Alicia, let, alone, let alone getting hit in the head with a 58. He... he you know, it's probably going 100 miles an hour. He didn't even get to play a little bit to kind of audition for the gig. <laughs> well, you know, he he actually came out and he did the whole show mm. with blood all over his face and really? everything. All right, but you know, he didn't get the gig though. Yeah, well, I, I mean, he, he probably had a concussion. Didn't and, get the gig. Yeah, there's a video of that online. And you don't really see Brody getting hit, but you see Sebastian swinging the mic around. And then, you know, all of a sudden he's kind of like looking at the end of the mic and the mic's gone. <laughs> you can kind of see Brody, you can kind of yeah. see Brody like walk behind the stage real slow. But uh, it was, um, I mean, it's a terrible thing, but I'm so sad that I missed that. That's such a good story. <laughs> yeah. no, that was insane. Yeah, man. So what advice do you have for people looking to maybe become a drum tech or just the tech in general or get into the touring business? Uh, you know, I've, I've always focused on drums and stuff, but, you know, coming up, trying to get in the business, I would, I would get into kind of everything, you know, and get into guitars, mm -hmm. 
you know, and, and how it works, and, 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 you know, the amps, you know, why they use different amps, different speakers, you know, uh, stuff like that, you know, or even, even like, um, monitors or mm. front of house. Yeah, expand your you horizon. Know. So, you know, learn a little bit of, of everything. Yeah. Well, because exactly, you never know. I mean, you know, during the shows, during those shows, anything happens, you know, you know, something amp might go out, but they might be on your side of the stage where the other guy can't get to, and you may be able to fix something real quick, you know. But, I mean, well, it's just important in general because, you know, you, you know, you have a forte, like yours is drums, and my forte is front of house, but I can also tour manage. And then, you know, you never know when, when somebody's going to say, hey, Randy, I know you're drum tech, but, you know, will you come tech guitar for me for a week? You know, you could you could do the job. You may, you may, you may not be as good as John Franco is or somebody else, but you could you could get the job done and you could do it pretty well. I think probably everybody should have like a secondary, at least interest in a gig in touring, especially, you know, since we don't really know what's going to be happening coming up. If you can do two jobs and save an artist some money. You're probably going to be in a better spot than somebody that's just a one trick pony. That, uh, that's true. That can, can only tour manager, can only do front of house or can only tech. So if you can wear a couple hats, it's not a bad idea at all. Any other stories you want to tell? I remember the first time me and Sebastian really talked. Um, we were in Arkansas right before a show, and our hotel happened to be a block away or so. And Sebastian needed to go back to his room. There were so many people outside the bus waiting. You know, the, the, the fans were, were excited. They were ready for the show. And, but the bus happened to be parked right there at the front of the venue. And, you know, like I said, the, the hotel was a block away. And Sebastian's like... I need to get to that hotel. I'm like, I said, Hey, Sebastian, you know, if you need to get to the hotel, I can get you there. He's like, you can. I'm like, yeah, well, let's do it. He puts his hand on my shoulder. He still does this today. He'll put his hand on my shoulder and I just go for it. If we knock somebody over, you know, oh well, but, you know, <laughs> and I remember if they, got, if they get in, got Rand, if they get in Randy's right way, they're going down. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. It's, you know, and Don's usually right behind me, Don Sullivan, you know? So, you know, I get him to his hotel and I get him back to the bus before the show. And I remember him telling me, he's telling the Dave Hart at that time was a tour manager. If I ever need anything, you know, you send me this guy right here. I don't know his name, but you send me that guy. <laughs> I'm like, okay. <clears throat> and Dave Hart's like, apparently you work for Sebastian too now. I'm like, what? <laughs> and I told Bobby about it. I said, hey, Bobby, I think I work for Sebastian too now. He's like, what did you do? Nope. <laughs> I, said, I don't know, but he, he likes me for some reason. <laughs> but yeah. he's all right, you know, Sebastian. He's, he's all right. He's, if you're a friend of his, you're golden to him, you know? When you're in, you're, when you're, in you're in with him. I mean, he's a, he's a, he's a loyal dude. Well, Randy, thanks for doing this with me, man. You know, I appreciate it, and uh, hope you're holding in pretty well down there in Texas. I hope it's not too hot right now. Oh, it's too hot. It's way too hot. <laughs> well, cool, dude. Well, let's keep in touch, man, and, uh, you know, we'll we'll meet up again one day. All right. All right, buddy. Thanks so Good much. talking to you, Ryan. All right. Catch you later. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to Bus Call. If you like the podcast, please rate and review us wherever you get your podcast. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit us at patreon.com slash buscall. Patreon members will get the podcast a week before it's released to the public, and they can also sign up to have advance notice of who's going to be on and the opportunity to ask questions. Please take some time to visit show-logistics.com. We've dedicated the first page to sell merch to raise money for Crew Nation's Global Relief Fund. 
as you know with COVID-19 basically all touring has stopped for the foreseeable future and there's thousands and thousands of crew out of work and we're donating all the profits many of the merch sold there straight to Crew Nation thanks so much again and please rate review and subscribe <laughs>